Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. Uh, I was up late last night answering emails and uh, was uh, up early this morning trying to put together the, what we were going to talk about today on the show. I released last night uh, an audio and video presentation of a conversation I had with uh, uh, Mr. Matamela from South Africa, who was in uh, the ANC there and in the government, and had a sudden revelation that uh, that uh, they were doing things all wrong, and that they they were void of the kingdom of God. And so, uh, we had a conference. We had been exchanging emails. He had been reading the books, and uh, and introducing them to other active people in South Africa trying to find a solution to this new government in South Africa, which is going very much awry. And it what's happening in South Africa is just really a reflection of the spirit that's going on in many other parts of the world. I mean, we see in France uh, these riots. Uh, uh, there's actually a, a, a rise in crime in some areas of the world, uh, certain types of crime. Whole populations are degenerating into, um, uh, they're actually dissipating uh, as uh, societies in, in Sweden, uh, in many parts of Europe. They, uh, the indigenous people that live in those areas and have lived there for centuries are fading out of existence. They, their birth rate is so low that it is only a matter of time until they are completely in a minority. And then, of course, at the same time, they have this huge influx of uh, immigrants coming from failed countries that are destroying themselves. So, I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, like South America has just as many natural resources as the United States, and yet... The people in South America are fleeing their countries by the thousands, by the tens of thousands, because of the economic depression and difficulties in coming to America because some things are supposedly better here. But what's attracting them in many cases is the very thing that destroyed their own nation, which was socialism. Socialism is destroying their nation. We've seen this in the black community in the United States, and uh, which is not limited to the black community, but it was, black community was targeted by LBJ in the war on poverty and, uh, and outfits like Planned Parenthood and everything targeted the black communities, most children, uh, that are getting aborted, uh, I don't know if it's most, but a far higher percentage of children being aborted today are black children. And that was the original intention of Margaret Sanger is to limit the birth of blacks and poor people. And uh, it was actually LBJ was targeting the black community to try to develop the loyalty of the black community. And it effectively worked because the black community originally was set free from uh, slavery by the Republicans, but yet 
the vast majority of blacks today have been voting Democratic. And the Democratic Party was the party of the KKK. Most people don't know that. I mean, they're actually, you know, we had some people out here and were surprised that so many people out here in the desert were Republicans. And they thought, why are you the Republicans? Because that's the party of the rich. Uh, no, it's actually not. But uh, the reality is I'm not a Republican. I'm not, uh, my son's not a Republican. My, not, not, I don't know if any of my children have registered Republican or not, but uh, they have conservative values, but uh, they are not necessarily party people uh, in more ways than one. I mean, you use that word <laughs> uh, in a number of ways. And in my conversation with Mr. Montemella, he was mentioning the fact that there is a vote coming up in, I believe, I believe it's in August in South Africa. They have a parliamentary uh, type government there and I'm a little familiar with that but they actually have something coming up where you can actually if you belong to a party and that this is one of their complaints if you belong to a party you can govern yourselves with your party the other party can't govern you now that's quite a bit different than the original approach uh back in the American system of uh governance uh, you, you know, you had people, candidates, the, the original candidates that ran for president once the United States was put into motion through the Constitution of the United States, it wasn't legally ratified yet, but it was already implemented, and they were electing a president. The guy with the second highest number of votes was going to be the vice president. Now that's amazing. That would mean like if, if you, if Trump and Biden ran for the presidency, uh, one of them will be the vice president of the other. <laughs> and I personally would not want to be the president when Biden was the vice president because I figure I wouldn't be long for this world. <laughs> you could see how that would be very dangerous. And they changed it from that eventually and it became a party uh election uh now in in parliamentary governments uh they actually you know if one party wins they reorganize the whole government you know that well not there are some bureaucrats that will remain but there's a great many of the bureaucrats that will suddenly change over because the labor party won or the conservative party won and they then reform another government. And so that, that's a very interesting idea. But evidently, and I, I haven't got the details on this, South Africa they're talking about, if you're a member of a particular party, that party governs you. And the, and I just don't know how that would work. And like I said, I have to read the details. That's where you find a lot of understanding of what is actually going on in a particular situation is in the details because uh, and and unfortunately most people today do not look at the details i mean it's like i mentioned uh, that in canada they have legalized cannibalism well actually what they did was they typed up a bill and uh, somehow or other spell check changed the the word cannabis into cannibalism and uh, I think it's like 25 times in the bill you see the word cannibalism. And uh, and they voted on it, and it passed. 
And so now you have to have some sort of deal to change the wording. <laughs> what what it tells me the 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 amazing thing is they're not reading what they're voting on. They're not even reading the bill. If they read it, I doubt they would understand the long-term ramifications. They do not understand the details, but they haven't even read it. If 25 times you can say the word cannibalism and nobody caught it until after it was voted in, that's just astounding. That same thing is going on in the United States. And those of you who know a little bit about my history is years ago, decades now, I took a year out. And, uh, I mean, I was working every day, but I focused that year on reading every single bill that was voted on in Congress. I don't know if I read every one that was voted on, but every one that was voted for and um, and became a part of the uh, legal system, I read those. And uh, it was quite an ordeal. These are huge, voluminous tomes of uh, laws being passed. The congressmen who are voting on these and the senators who are voting on these have absolutely no idea what is in the text. I mean, it even got so bad that at one point Pelosi made a statement, something to the effect that uh, you have to vote on it before you can read it, you know, before you can see it. If you want to know what's in it, first you have to vote on it, and then once you vote on it, then we'll let you see what's in it. I mean, and that that's so insane. But yet they say this, and it's a news bite, and then everybody goes on like somebody's in control. Somebody's actually making good decisions for you, and they're not even reading the bills that they're passing. Well, somebody's writing them. Who are the people who are writing these gigantic bills? And they've got grown so big since uh, Mr. Deeds went to Washington if you see that old movie, Mr. Deeds Goes to Washington, they're, they're saying, well, you know, these are written by lawyers. I Even I don't understand all the... Well, I began to understand what was going on. And there's a whole spirit of people and ideas, a climate of ideas that is being brought into the legal system and even into positive law in the United States. Now, a lot of you won't even know the difference between what the laws in the legal system and positive law. These are, they're not the same thing. Much less does anybody even know what natural law is. So if you're on the network, the earliest morning you got a uh, link and uh, reference to our recording with Mr. Matamela, and he asked a number of questions in his recording. And uh, in the recording, in the conversation. And uh, those uh, questions were very uh, important uh, to him. And and I think they're really important to everybody else. And, uh, you know, they were pretty basic questions. They they were well thought out. And I, I think they were actually inspired to some degree because to even come up with those questions shows that he already has a certain understanding of this thing we call the kingdom of God. See, Mr. Matamela was in the ANC and he had been elected to parliament, but then he saw this, had this revelation and began to see that they were leaving some very important 
principles and precepts that were actually bringing in corruption. And he didn't really didn't know what they all were, but he, he had ideas about it and uh, was led to sort of walk away from his position of power in the parliament. And he started the Kingdom Governance Movement. And somewhere along the line, he came across our books and has has been reading them and then conversing back and forth with us uh, on them and now sharing them with other activists in South Africa. And so I spent, I, I was up early this morning, I had already put together a, a whole list of things to read and to examine to understand the the uh, what's going on in South Africa uh, so that I could talk about it in a semi-intelligent way. Uh, and I'll briefly go over some of the questions because I've had some thoughts about these questions since my answers. The answers that I gave him as he presented the questions uh, in our conference call are all on the net. And you can go to Preparing You. Like I say, if you are in the network, it, it, just the email network, which works way better. We have a Kingdom News list. And I haven't been using the Kingdom News list because it takes like four to five hours to send out all the messages to all the people on the Kingdom News list. And it's it's uh, very cumbersome. You have to get past a lot of spam filters, so you have to do all kinds of things to do that. And we still have that list, and I will be sending things out to that list because many people on that list are not also on what we call the network. On the network, I can send out to everybody on the network gets past all the spam filters. You, you can put your own personal spam filters in because it is a membership-controlled group. It is a private group. And so all the people on that network within seconds will receive the notices that we send out. If this was an emergency notice that we were sending out, like there, there was need or help that required in some area, the Kingdom News list is just takes forever to send out because it has to be a mentor, a metered release. So even though we do recommend that people join that group, the Kingdom Newsletter, which you can do at hisholychurch.org, we also recommend that you, uh, we not only recommend, we almost require that you join the Kingdom Network, which is an email group. Now, if you don't have email and you're listening to this uh, or you've heard about us and you don't have email and you're not online, there's still a way to connect, and that's how you join the living network. You just pick the congregation that is geographically closest to you. You get a hold of that minister, and you connect. And you let them know that you want to assemble, you want to be notified, and he'll notify you by phone if that's what's needed, if you don't have email. Email is very effective, but our goal is to actually seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is not just an email group. Now, one of the letters that I sent out last night, and I'd been kind of putting it together. We had some problem with one of our websites, so I didn't send it out, and I wanted to think about it a little bit more when I originally held back on sending it out. I I, I just was following the Spirit and said, don't send it out yet. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we got through the conference call with Mr. Matamela and and, uh, and like I say, somebody's put it up on YouTube 
and uh, we have the audio recordings now available, and uh, I've got a, at least a page that goes over these three questions and some of my responses. And in my responses, you know, my written responses here, uh, there are links that will take you to article after article that explains things in those details that I said are so important. And even though I spent, you know, I have now spent hours addressing one individual who's calling us wants to know how to hold property as a church. And, uh, you know, I, I spent the time with him. He does not seem to want to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Does not want to gather in the network. The truth is, most of what we can share with him openly is already on the net. It's in the books, like the Free Church Report. It's in article after article that is related to the Free Church Report showing you how the church was organized in the first century. Just mentioning the tens, hundreds, and thousands, he thinks, well, that even though we show that Christ commanded at a major festival that had over probably over 20,000, 30,000 people at, that he required that the disciples make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands which is an extremely common way in which to organize large numbers of people and had been for century upon century upon century, for over a millennium and uh, oh, several millennium. Uh, that had been the most common way that free governments organized themselves. But he didn't want to do that. He didn't think that the early church was doing that. As a matter of fact, he actually even thinks that the Bible doesn't have any specifics on how the church should organize, when it's actually full of things that is telling you how the church should organize. And so, you know, we have a whole web page up called the Tens. You can look it up at Preparing You, and we're gonna we're gonna take a lot of that content and put it up on other sites so that we don't lose that material if you know if things were you know interrupting the internet. And so that people have access to that information. Because, like, I just added uh, Professor Rushduni comments on how Paul was organizing the church. And he specifically states that Paul and the apostles were organizing the, every congregation in these small groups of ten. Remember, the word congregation and the word church are not the same word. The word we see translated into church and the word we see translated into congregation or in the Old Testament we see the words free assembly, they're not the same. In the Old Testament there was the church in the wilderness. That was the ecclesia in the wilderness, the called out in the wilderness. Who was the called out in the wilderness? Was that the congregation of the people? No. That was the Levites were the called out in the wilderness. Who was it called out in the New Testament? That was the, the disciples of Christ. He called out the 70. He called out the 12. He called out the 120. And he ordained them. He appointed them. The word we see as ordained, that is several words in the New Testament translated ordained, but one of them simply means appoint. He appointed the kingdom to the little flock. He didn't appoint it to everybody. He appointed it to the little flock. Do the, the little flock get to rule over you like uh, some of the Catholic churches done over the centuries and some of the Protestant churches try to do? No. 
they're forbidden. When he appointed the kingdom, he also forbid them to exercise authority one over the other. He did want them to be a government. He did want them to be benefactors of the people. But they couldn't be benefactors through covetous practices. Well, today, the benefactors of the people and the fathers of the earth, even back then, are the rulers of governments who exercise authority one over the other. And Christ specifically said that we're not to be that way. Now, whether you're the church, the called out, or the congregation, God does not want you coveting your neighbor's goods through an authority that exercises control or power one over the other. He doesn't want you doing that. That's pretty specific. I mean, God said it in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. We see Paul making references to not coveting. We see Peter telling us that covetous practices would make us merchandise. Wow. He says that, well, even those same covetous practices would curse our children and that we would be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. So in our series on structure, which this will probably be part of that series on structure of government, a righteous government and, of course, the unrighteous government, just like there is a righteous mammon and an unrighteous mammon, one of the last questions that Mr. Montemeller brought up was concerning treasuries and federal reserves in a government. And I made mention, I haven't put the links on the page yet, but I probably should make mention of this, is that the uh, unrighteous mammon is is like the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve and, and the banking system and the money system, the economic system that that is not really a capitalist. You, you can't have a capitalist system if you're operating with debt notes. People talk about capitalism. How's that working out for you? If you're operating with debt notes and calling it money as if it had present value, which even the Federal Reserve says the Federal Reserve notes have no value. They state this on their website. That's not capitalism, because you have no capital. <laughs> you know, that's, that's this basic understanding of of the system. Well, anyway, the unrighteous mammon is going to fail. And in the meantime, you need to be righteous with the unrighteous mammon. And I'll talk about that in the, in the audio with Mr. Matamela. But I, I'll, I'll give more explanation. But we'll go somewhere else with this in a moment. Be right back. So, welcome back. So, once you understand, Jesus talks about the unrighteous mammon. And uh, he says, be friends with the unrighteous mammon. For when it fails, you'll be more suitable for a righteous habitation. Well, the kingdom of God is about being in a righteous habitation. It's for the living. It's a system of self-government that only works for virtuous people. And in it, you have just weights and measures. You don't have debt notes. You can't engage in covetous practices. You do not exercise authority one over the other. Now, there are some people that want to exercise authority one over the other. 
they they can't be in the kingdom. They have no inheritance in the kingdom. I don't have to throw them out. They will find the kingdom objectionable. They will not want to go near the kingdom or those people who do go near the kingdom and seek the, the ways of Christ. Christianity was a way. It's another way to govern yourselves. But unfortunately, most people don't understand it. They, they, they want to have their little congregation, you know, uh, 10 guys, 20 guys, or maybe they're very ambitious pastors and they want to have 500-man congregations because you get a lot more tithing that way. You get a bigger paycheck that way. <laughs> but that's not... That's not why Christ appointed the kingdom to the apostles. As a matter of fact, the apostles were not allowed to own any property in their own personal name. Christ is very clear about that. Your translations are a little ambiguous about it, but he it, it's there, even in your translations. We show you surrounding why Jesus made that command of his disciples. Now, that's not a command for all the people. That's a command for his disciples who were to be appointed the kingdom. But not a kingdom where they rule over you, a kingdom where they serve. Because he says that the rank in the kingdom is based on who is the greatest servant of servants. Not rulers of rulers. If you're looking to elect rulers, you're not seeking the kingdom. As a matter of fact, you're rejecting God. If you're looking to force your neighbor to pay for your child's education or your health care or, or you know, your parents, you know, to take care of your parents in their old age, you want to force your neighbor through the agency of government to provide for your parents, you're not seeking the kingdom of God and you're not a witness of Christ. People say you have to confess Christ. And believe that he was raised from the dead. Satan believes that he was raised from the dead. Satan believes that he was the Christ, the Messiah. But Satan just doesn't want to do what he said. Well, a lot of people tell me they believe in Jesus. They don't want to do what he said. Or or they want to do what he said not to do. Jesus didn't do away with the Ten Commandments. <laughs> he did away with the, the legislation of the Sanhedrin. That's the law that he did away with. And 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 Paul says it's, it's now passing away because he could see that the Sanhedrin that was there in the temple and then the government, the Sanhedrin of the Pharisees, was passing away. It was diminishing. And he could see the kingdom of God growing as he went from uh, Ephesus to Galatia to Corinth to Spain to Rome and started congregations of ten, according to Rushduni. And why was there a congregation of ten? Because that's what a synagogue was. It was ten families. If you don't know that, then when you hear the Bible talking about congregations, you don't realize that he's talking about groups of ten families. If if you're not reading the see it's it's all there and that's why we've written these articles. If you go and read the articles and go through it, 
I'm sure more questions will come up, and that's why we have so many of these links in, in the articles where if you say, he says, my kingdom's not of this world. Now, how many Christians think that when he says, my kingdom is not of this world, he's saying that my kingdom is not on this planet? That it's for you when you die. Even though he says it's not for the dead, but for the living. But they think that that word world means the planet. My kingdom's not of this world. Planet. No, my kingdom's not of this constitutional order and system of government that you are manager of, Mr. Pontius Pilate. Because that's who he said it to. So you don't, if you don't know who he's talking to, you may not know what he's saying. Pilate was about to sit in the judgment seat and he says, my kingdom is not of this world that you want to sit in the judgment seat of. And Pilate was astounded. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, we would present an argument. I'd hire a bunch of lawyers and we would debate this. And you could sit in judgment of me. But my kingdom's not of your world. I have no treaties with you, which is forbidden. I have no covenants or contracts with you, which is forbidden in the Old Testament. And so you don't have the right to judge whether I'm king. But he did judge whether Jesus was king. He said he is the king. He recognized him as the king, but he washed his hands of the case because he realized, I don't have the right to decide. If Jesus is king. You know, I can't put him in power because this kingdom is not really of our world. They had not really conquered Judea. Rome had not yet conquered Judea. They did at the fall of Jerusalem, but by then the Christians had a temple built without stones, without hands, a living temple of living stones, a network that reached all across the Roman Empire and beyond of tens, hundreds, and thousands, so that when the 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 Christian Jews fled the Jerusalem, they had a place to go. Where do you got to go? If you got your little ten-family congregation off in the woods somewhere on the little land that you bought, where do you go? If things get bad in uh, Montana or wherever you're at, where do you go? You have no Christian network like Paul was creating, like Peter was establishing, like the apostles were uh, establishing all across the Roman Empire. You don't have that. Why don't you have that? Because you're not doing what Christ said to do. You're bearing witness to a Christ you've invented in your own mind or was invented in your mind by false prophets and false teachers. Now, I could be a false prophet and false teacher, but that's why we write all this out so you can go and look at it and see. But if you're going to be a lazy seeking of the kingdom and not read (laughs) and not examine, then what can I do? Now, you don't have to read all our material. It's there for free. We can't compel anybody to read it. We we don't even compel you to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But you can't compel us to serve your needs either. 
And we have the prerogative of saying, if you won't sit down in tens, hundreds, and thousands, why am I bringing you any loaves and fishes? Why am I feeding you? Now, we'll let you do your own thing, you know, at Mark 9. We're not going to condemn you. We're not going to, you know, get some law passed against you. But we don't see you as a witness of Christ because you're not doing what Christ said. That's how we know you have faith, is that you keep his commandments. And he commanded all kinds of things. Not to be like the governments of the Gentiles. If you're praying at the table of the Gentile governments who exercised authority to obtain benefits at the expense of your neighbor, I don't see a Christian. I'm sorry, I just don't see it. So anyway, I talked about Mr. Montemelis, uh, three questions, and we... And, and, you know, I, I, I went around and hopefully I'll add some more to the page there. I actually have a, a probably double the amount that you now see on the page if you go to our page, Matamela at Preparing You. I haven't put it up yet because I want to put all kinds of links and I was spending a great deal of my time answering people who won't sit down in the network so I didn't get it finished before the show. <laughs> Which is, you know, I wrote them last night and said, told them that it's not right that I leave serving the table of the people who will sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to spend my evenings answering people who who won't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because, uh, I mean, that's why there were fishes and loaves left over is because those who would not sit down didn't get fed. <laughs> but it's your choice. That's your prerogative. You know, do what Christ said and, and you know, we, we will serve you in your journey seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But if you're seeking the benefits of the world and their unrighteous mammon as the solution to all your problems, well, I'm sorry, I, I can't help you out. I can't make you comfortable in your false religion. That's not my job. So anyway, the first question that Mr. Montemella put out was, uh, and I paraphrase these a little bit, but I, what I did is I went back and listened to the audio, which takes time, and I typed out pretty much what his question was. He asked the question twice, once uh, we weren't recording, and then he asked it again, and we were recording, so it's just kind of a compilation of both times. But they were really well thought out questions, so I thought I would put them out here. How then... As a church, can we transform communities and nations when we ourselves still need transforming? Well, certainly the apostles needed transforming. They answered a call. Christ knew who he was calling. And he says, come follow me. And we have no idea if he didn't say, come follow me to to a thousand people. He could have said it to all kinds of people. And they followed him and then fell away. We we just don't know. There's no reference to that fact. But we know he did call the apostles. And he, but he does say things like, you know, many are are uh, called but few are chosen. So I would almost assume that Christ called on many people to follow him, but they didn't persevere, which is another word that Jesus used. They didn't continue striving. They put their hand to the plow and then took their hand off the plow. I have seen that over and over again. And people don't realize that when you abandon the network, you abandon 
others. If that is the spirit of abandonment, I mean, who does that? You know, men who divorce, men who uh, neglect, they will neglect others because that's the spirit of neglect that they have in them. Now, they could change, they could repent, but I only say that so they know what they need to repent of. So how can we help other communities, you know, transform themselves and even nations transform themselves if we ourselves need transforming? Well, of course, we see the apostles in the process of preaching the kingdom. I mean, they're sent out to preach the kingdom before they came into one accord, before the, the the baptism of fire of the Holy Spirit. They were already out there doing the job. Now, if you watch a bunch of movies on it, you think they're all walking around in sandals and, and saying nice platitudes and stuff. They were actually becoming the social welfare of those people who were repenting according to the teachings of John the Baptist and seeking the kingdom of God. Because what were they repenting of? Well, the sin of covetousness, desiring benefits from men who exercise authority, for one. But also the the sin of neglect and the sin of betrayal. You know, if they were divorcing, he talks to the woman at the well, and right away he says, uh, where's your husband? And she says, I have none. And he says, you, you've spoken rightly. Because you've had five. How does he know this stuff? <laughs> you know, And but she realized, my gosh, I've been playing the harlot. And she, she probably was already realizing this, which is why she answered rightly. She realized that she had had five husbands, but she had never had a husband. Why? Because she had never really been a wife. So he's so there there's another point. You know, not only do we don't want to betray our spouses, we don't want to betray our neighbor. If we do, are we not betraying God? And one of the things I pointed out with Mr. Montemella is that you don't you, you, God doesn't need your help. God doesn't need you to do... He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need that. He's okay. God's fine. He doesn't need your adoration. He doesn't need your praise. He's not insecure narcissist. He doesn't need that. You need to help others because that allows the character of God to come into you. And transform you. You need other people to help. So that God's spirit may enter into you. Show you how to help in a way that is righteous. And then you will be transformed by that Holy Spirit. So seeking the kingdom of God is a process that leads us to transformation. The liberty under God by the Holy Spirit. That's how we are transformed. We do this by first repenting, changing the way we think. Mr. Montemello was changing the way he thought. He thought the answer was to get elected to Parliament and solve the problems. And he realized, no, that's not it. (laughs) 
And he was willing to realize that, no, that's not it. Just as many other people I'm talking to right now need to realize that some of the ideas that they had before are not it. Then he goes on, then, what do you do after repenting, thinking this other way? Then serving people in a way that strengthens their faith. So how do you serve others in a way that strengthens them? Because I can show you how to serve others that weaken them. But how do you strengthen them? And I tell you, when you learn this, you'll become a better parent, a better spouse, husband, wife, because you will love one another in a way that strengthens them. And it will challenge you. I go on to say the gospel of the kingdom shows us uh, how the disciples were prepared and transformed so that they could properly serve the people in that networking community of love and charity we call the early church. They were learning as they were going. They were sent out to uh, to go and preach the kingdom to other people, and they were still learning. Because when they came back, Christ is asking them questions. They didn't know Jesus was the Messiah yet. Because he says, who do they say I am? Who do you say I am? Only one guy could answer. And it was Peter. And he answered, Simon Barjona answered that he was the Messiah. And Jesus said, you know this not because flesh and blood has revealed it, but my Father in heaven. Now, Jesus had insight into that. It's not just the words. But he had insight into that, that revelation. And it is that revelation each of us must have in order to be the rock of faith that we need to become, to become the stones of the temple. And we get these little revelations, like Mr. Matamela got some revelations on his own, began to see things, and he's acted upon them. That opens the door to the next revelation and the next revelation. It is in the trial by fire that will turn clay into stone. And I point out that journey is the destination. When they began to follow Christ, began to do what he said, they began to become transformed. So that's how we do it. We start the journey. Because the journey is the destination. That's why both John and Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Repent. Think a different way. So you're going to seek the kingdom of God in a different way. Everybody else is using force. Now you're going to think in a different way. And that's that's where he, he was starting to realized that they were using this force and that power to force the people was actually corrupting the people. Surprise, surprise. Isn't that what's happened to Saul? They gave him the power to force the contributions and he he became corrupted by that power to force and eventually killed himself. Fell on his own sword. That is the destiny of all these governments that are looking more and more to forcing the contributions of the people, forcing a social welfare, forcing health care, forcing you to take care of the elderly, they are going to bring about destruction. Every power you give them to legislate 
morality and so-called charity, government charity, which is not charity, will turn around and do the exact opposite. It will strengthen the wicked. It will enrich the wicked by its very nature. A lot of people can't see that. They, they, they're beginning to see the results of it. I mean, that, that's what happened. They, they created, LBJ created a welfare system supposedly, although he admittedly knew why he was doing it. He was going to make the, the black com- community dependent upon the Democratic Party, dependent upon this welfare system. And it, it, he was right. It worked. But he weakened the black community. Like I said, 3% of the homes were single-parent families back at the turn of the century, the, the last, the turn of the last century, 1900s. By the, uh, we, we, we'd been creating a social welfare state since the New Deal. So in the 60s and early 70s, we saw, you know, what was it, uh, it was like 20 or 25 percent of the black community were single parent families. So that was a huge jump right there. Now it's over 70% of the black community are single parent families. And that has weakened those communities. It has impoverished them. The very war on poverty is a war for poverty. And some people are waking up to this, but there's a lot more to wake up to. So the question number two is, how can those who receive the revelation of the kingdom and be that uh, to how do they be that different church or do we delay the transforming of the community well i didn't say much about it at the time but this the idea of delaying the transforming of the community we don't transform the community the holy spirit transforms the community we can, we only have authority over ourselves. So we can make choices. This higher liberty. This right to choose. To serve the people and how we serve the people. You know, I can stay up till after midnight answering emails of people who won't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Or I can finish my work so that I'm ready for the radio show. <laughs> and I have all that I've written with the link so you can see uh, where you can go. You know, when I, when I talk about judicial systems, which is one of the things that uh, we touched on in our conversation, but only touched on it. And so now I'm writing a more elaborate answer and uh, and will show you links to show you how the kingdom of God will provide all the things that you need from justice to roads. It can do that. How to do that? Well, the answer is in the details. How do we do it in the details? So we don't, there is no delay of the transforming. We don't delay it because we don't do the transforming. We transform ourselves by allowing the Holy Spirit in and He actually changes. Because we don't know how to do, we don't have a knowledge of good and evil except from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What we need eat of is the tree of life which is the Holy Spirit and he will show us in the moment what is good and what is evil so much so that he will say stop go forward turn left turn right because that's how you you don't know all the details we can talk about the principles of what is right 
but the application is the details. How do you know whether you should go down this road or go down that road when you come to crossroads? And you could go either way. Neither one seems wrong, but neither one seems particularly right. How do you know which one to go? The Holy Spirit can guide you in that. But you only have the Holy Spirit if you're eating of the tree of life. If you're still creating your own catechism and and imposing religious rules on other people, then then you're you're not you're not allowing them to seek the Holy Spirit. I allow you to choose whichever way you want to go. I am going to serve the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And those who don't want to be a part of that should not expect my service. And I say the same to other ministers, but they must make that choice. Because that's, following that Holy Spirit is what brings about our transforming. And it brings it about in little steps. Little step by step. God says, do this. Little tiny things. I've told stories about that in the past. It's those little things and the details where God will make the biggest changes in your life. But uh, we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom after another brief break. Be there. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So how can those who receive the revelation of the kingdom be that different church that was actually established by Jesus Christ, that different called out? Well, that's a loaded question. And and I, I give it as an explanation, and, and there's links to a lot of other articles. Uh, the term we use today as church actually means the called out. And people say, I go to church. Well, you're saying I go to called out. <laughs> I go to the called out. Uh, we had church today. We had the called out today. It doesn't make any sense because we've changed the meaning of the word when we translated the called out into church. And then society changed the meaning of the word church in our minds and has reformed it, redefined it. I mean, the, the legal definition of church is one form of government. As part of the legal definition of a church, it's it's it is established in the definition. It says that the church is established by Jesus Christ. It's not established by Joe Schmo. It's not established by me. It's not established by Pope Francis. It's not established by even the apostles. It's established by Jesus Christ. For his purposes and for the propagation of his doctrines and teachings and ordinances. That's, that's basically what the legal definition of the church is. And so the church is an institution. It is an institution of Christ. It is a government. It's a different form of government than the governments of the world. But we see the early church providing all the social welfare for the people. And that, that no longer went to the benefactors who exercised authority to obtain their daily bread. Now they're going to pray to God for his daily bread and it's going to be rightly divided from house to house.
by the ministers of God who we either recognize or don't recognize, sit down with or don't sit down with, our choice. Because it's a free assembly. You know, people, you know, I'm going to talk later about election. There's an election in the kingdom of God. You get to elect the minister you want. When you sit down in those tens under the thousands, you are choosing who you're going to sit down with. If they pick somebody you don't like, you don't have to sit down with them anymore. You can pick somebody else. That may take a little bit of time. Nobody was getting any loaves and fishes till the 5,000 men there and their families chose to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. I don't think they ate that day. I think it took more than a day to do that. But if it was Feast of Tabernacles, they had all week. <laughs> like the guy says, I'm here all week. That's what they were doing. And that's what Peter was doing and Paul was doing when they were going around setting up and appointing elders. They weren't appointing this one thing that Rush Dooney did get wrong. And, you know, the term elder is kind of a generic term, so he's not entirely wrong. It's just he, he kind of misrepresents things. Because the word elder simply means the eldest head of a family. That's what it means. That It doesn't mean a priest. It doesn't mean a minister. It means the head of a family. That's an old man usually. So they, what he's saying is we appointed the old men. You know, the people looked at amongst themselves. They sat down in a congregation of ten. They picked a guy to be their minister and we appointed him. This is exactly what we see Peter doing when they needed to set up a bank, which is what they were actually doing. When they say table, not right that we wait on tables, the word table there is the word for bank in the Greek. And it is even translated bank in the Bible, in the New Testament. So why don't we translate that word table? Because he wasn't serving pancakes. That's not why they were picking seven guys to serve pancakes, you know, in the morning or, or, uh, uh, matzah or whatever you, you know, have a Jewish dish of some sort. He said, it's not right that we leave the preaching of the word of God to wait on banks, to make a bank, to set up a bank, to help you move funds, to help the Greeks who are being neglected, their widows and orphans are being neglected because they don't have enough because they're having some economic upheavals in another country, in Greece. And they're being neglected. How do we help them? Well, let's set up a bank so we can move funds from here to there to help them out. That's what they were doing. Then they were picking seven guys to do that with, which is another link I have to put on this page because that was one of the questions he asked about was banking, money. And, of course, we talked about credit union in South Africa. They don't call them credit unions. They call them cooperatives. In other countries, they call them friends, associations, and lots of different things. But they almost all form the same way. Seven men <laughs> form a charitable bank, a bank that's not there for profit. If it charges you any usury, it's not for profit. So it's not really usury. If it's not for profit, it's not usury. They charge you a percentage to pay the light bill and the, the accountants and the laborers who are providing you with the loan. And if they accidentally make a profit, they have to give it back 
in some sort of charitable way to the people who are members of the credit union. All other banks, why can't banks forgive loans? Why can't they do that? Because they have a profit motive. They would be robbing the stockholders if they did that. But a credit union can forgive loans. If you can't pay it back, they can extend it over and over again because they have no profit motive. Now, they need to use discretion in a way that strengthens you. They don't want to make you weak, slothful, but they can do that. So that would be a huge, major change. But it, how how do you set up a credit union if you won't even sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands? And yes, the credit union is still using Federal Reserve notes, and Federal Reserve notes are still a part of the unrighteous mammon. But you, in the process, you can start to learn to be friends with the unrighteous mammon, use it in a righteous way, so that when it fails, you'll be ready to implement a more righteous funding or money system that is based on just weights and measures. Because it will fail. But this allows for that transformation because you begin to do that. So anyway... I said the term we use today for churches actually means called out. The called out are these ministers, the seven men that the people chose, looked out amongst themselves, found men they trusted, were appointed over that business, that bank in system, by Peter. And we do the same thing with congregations. It was what Paul was doing. Ten families got together, they picked somebody they trusted to be their minister, their connection with all the other congregations. He's not just going to be filling their ears with, uh, you know, tickling uh, platitudes. He's actually going to be connecting them in a worldwide networking kingdom of God that operates by charity instead of force. That's his job. If he's not sitting down with other ministers in a congregation of ministers, he's not connecting the ten families with the other 90. And, of course, if that individual won't sit down with the ten (laughs) and pick a minister that will connect, he's not seeking the kingdom. He's seeking his own little kingdom. So, anyway, this... There's a lot more to it. We're not going to get all into it because we want to get through this, and we're already in our second hour. Hopefully, we've got a little bit better audio that we're putting together because i got things running during the break. So the, the apostles were the called out. And the, the apostles, I mean, even the word apostles, I should put a link on that so that you can go and find out what the word apostle, because they weren't always called apostles. The first 12 were called apostles. And they make reference to others being the apostles that were not the twelves. A lot of people want to say, only the first twelve are apostles, nobody else is an apostle. Yet in the Bible, they're referencing other people who were not a part of the first twelve as being apostles. So, but the point was, is disciples just means those that I'm teaching. Well, he was not just teaching the twelve, he was also teaching the seventy. And is believed that he was teaching the 120. And amongst the 120 was Priscilla and Aquila, uh, according to all kinds of writings. Now you say, well, it's not in the Bible. So, well, yeah, there's a lot of things in the Bible that, that aren't in the Bible. 
but we know they were taking place because it's just that's just the way things work but and it's not a matter of faith but the fact is what we do know in the bible is you're not to covet your neighbor's goods you're not to be praying to the fathers of the earth or to the benefactors you know eating at the table of the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority in other words take away from your neighbor to provide you with those benefits you're not to be eating there you're you're supposed to be not operating by force, but operating by charity and love and faith. So the word translated communion in the Bible, because that's what they were doing, is they were forming these tens, hundreds, and thousands, these assemblies, these called out assemblies, uh, these free assemblies, uh, or the, the called out were to serve the free assemblies of the people in a common communion as one form of government that operated by choice rather than by force. There were no taxes in the kingdom except voluntary taxes. You taxed yourself. You called it a tithe. People said, well, they had to tithe. Okay, show me who was arrested for failing to tithe. Show, Show me the penalty for failing to tithe. You didn't tithe. Who went to jail for failing to tithe? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you were supposed to tithe, but you got to tithe to the minister of your choice according to his service. That's what it says. You tithe to them according to their service. It wasn't an automatic guaranteed entitlement that this Levite gets to come into your house and take 10% of what you produce, like they do in the world. It was a different kind of government. Can such a government work? Well, it can if you're a virtuous people. If you're a bunch of selfish people, it's not going to work. So what what happened if you're seeking the kingdom is you're going to be getting more and more people that are unselfish together in your congregation. You will probably have to go through a lot of people before you get ten people that are unselfish. (laughs) Hopefully, some who are a little selfish and stomp off and get angry or you know, and abandon you like they abandon their wife or their husband, hopefully they will repent and come back. And if they come back, you forgive them. They can come back seven times, 70 times. But that's what they have to do is become unselfish in this common communion. So this this word translated communion in the Greek text is uh, koinonia, which is more often translated fellowship. And we have a whole article on fellowship and a live link on the page that will take you to that. What is this fellowship? It's not, you know, like we all had a pizza together this week and we all sat around and chit-chatted and we all rubbed each other's back and tickled each other's ears. No, that's not fellowship. The fellowship of the kingdom is life and death. It is the welfare system of the kingdom of God. It is the pure religion that takes care of one another. And it requires personal sacrifice where every day you have to lay down a part of your life for others. For the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ's kingdom. For for the sake of Christ's doctrines of loving your neighbor as yourself. You do that, you will be transformed. You cannot do that consistently unless you are transformed. Most of the people who leave 
They leave because they get to a wall where they don't want to be transformed anymore. They don't want to give up some resentment, some anger, some pride, some vanity. Something is holding them back. And when the Holy Spirit enters into you, he brings in light. He's he's like this light on the lampstand. And you look around and you say, boy, I need to clean up my room. (laughs) Which I guess is a reference to Jordan Peterson. Because... That light shows you that you're a mess. You haven't been as good as you would like to think. See, most people go to church to have a preacher that tells them that they're better than they really are. That God loves you as you are. You can be the slob, the selfish, narcissistic, impatient individual that you are. God still loves you. Yeah, you you may not have any inheritance in the kingdom of God, and God still loves you. Because God has a love that strengthens the poor. He's not going to let you get away with murder. He's, he's going to bring in the recompense because he tends to not only mercy but to law and justice. And then mercy. So anyway, number three, how does the church structure itself in the kingdom model? So that the people of the world can see the value of the kingdom of God on earth. Well, again, uh, I mean, that's a huge long question. It would take hours. And, of course, we've taken those hours. We've laid this out in the Free Church Report. We've laid it out in article after article. You know, what is required of the ministers? Christ said, if you want to be one of my disciples, you must sell all your property. He actually uses a word there that means property. And then we see that the the saints, that's the called out, the separate. It's not the saints as the Pope says it. It's the separate, the ones that are not of the world. They're not of the constitutional systems uh, of men. They don't eat at the table. They cannot eat at the table of rulers. You may have to eat at the table of rulers or starve. But if you're turning around and seeking the kingdom of God, you will start setting the table of God so that you no longer have to eat at the table of rulers. And that's how the church begins to manifest itself. Because if you really do that, sit down in those tens, hundreds, and thousands and have ministers who step out and begin to become the true servants of Christ by becoming the true servants of the people, you should, if you are striving, as Christ said, to strive, and persevering, as Christ says, persevering, putting your hand to the plow and not taking it off again, your system of charity should work better than the system of the world. We know that the system of the world will fail. The unrighteous famine will fail. The uh, authoritarian people will begin to break their own rules and fall on their own sword, make their own governments illegitimate. And I could tell you stories about that right now, going on all around the world, where governments are making themselves the illegitimate governments of the world, because they won't keep their own rules. They're falling on their own laws and making themselves illegitimate. The news may not tell you that, but the good news will. (laughs) So anyway, anyway, uh, The churches should be the alternative to the benefactors of the world and the fathers of the earth, which we're not supposed to be praying to. 
No looking too for a free education, for free health care, for free welfare, for to take care of our parents or to even provide us with justice. Now, there's a mystical part to this. Don't get me wrong. It's not just a technical, legalistic part to it. But if you won't walk the walk, if you just want to talk the talk, but won't walk the walk, don't expect the Holy Spirit to enter into you. Emotion may enter into you, but the Holy Spirit will not. That's one of the things that we're going to talk about next if we get some time. Well, if not, we'll take it in the next show. That that if you walk a certain way, if you go a certain way, things will start to change. And you're, if you if God gives you a revelation and you act upon it, the next thing that will come is another revelation. You'll see more and more and more. You'll go back and read some of the things on our website and some of the things in our book, and you'll see things that you did not see the first time. Now, trust me, if you stop walking the walk, you will forget those revelations. You will not. It's like a dream. You know, if you, if you wake up in the morning and you have a dream and you write it down right away, you can often remember it as you write it down. But if, an hour later, if I ask you, what did you dream? You know, unless it was a real nightmare, <laughs> you'll say, you know, I can't remember. What what was I dream? I can't remember. Because you've entered another state of consciousness. When you start to receive the revelation of the Holy Spirit, you're entering another level of consciousness. And if you act upon that, then you you actually invest your life because that's what your actions are. You're investing your life based on the guidance of this other realm, the spiritual realm of revelation. And now you have a connection because you've poured out some of your life based on that spiritual revelation. You are now cementing your relationship with the spiritual revelation of God. And now another revelation can take place. And now you need to act upon that. And God will keep raising that revelation, that, that spirit of revelation, until you come to a point where you say, I don't want any more. I don't want to hear any more. I don't want and, and I'm not going to act upon that. I'm going to forget you told me this, Lord. You will backslide until you cannot even remember the first revelation. That's the way it works. I'm sorry. If that disappoints you, you can backslide. And they warn you about that. So you have to real, and, and this is, you know, when I'm, I go out and I pray. I go out and irrigate the desert or tend to the sheep in the desert. I really struggle with me out there, with my ego, my vanity. Because I have to set that aside to hear what God wants to tell me. Because it's a still, small voice. He's not going to be shouting. If somebody's shouting, <laughs> I raise my voice as I say that. That's probably not a good sign. That's what you'll see in in my my uh, next section, which I think is the climate of love. I can't remember what I call it. <laughs> Something to do with climate. The climate of ideas. And there's the idea of love and there's the idea of force. There's the idea of charity and the idea of compulsion. 
And one has a chilling effect on the compassion of man for man, and therefore will have a chilling effect of the compassion of God for man. He will still love you, but he is not going to hear your voice if you will not hear the voice of others. And Christ says this, God says this, I will not hear you in that day. Why? Because you would not listen to God. You you cared more about your own comfort than the rights of your neighbor. And so therefore God will not hear you. And so those people will start to shout. You will see anger. You will see uncontrolled anger in them. Or they And they don't want anybody else to speak either. They want to shout other people down. They have fallen to a state of unconsciousness or a lower state of consciousness. They cannot help what they are doing. But the Holy Spirit has dominion there as well as up in the, the higher states of consciousness. You know, in the kingdom of heaven. The Holy Spirit has dominion in both. The Holy Spirit has dominion in hell. Satan does not have dominion in hell. He has a dominion over those in hell. <laughs> but you you need to be able to walk into hell and still hold dominion. And there's lots of little ways, and I can show you those, and I'll be counseling some people personally, how evil sucks you in to the dark side. As as, uh, Obi-Wan would say, anger draws you into the dark side. Bad language. Using bad words. You know, what we call bad words, you know, uh, vulgar language. Draws you into the dark side. Little bit. I mean, they're little hooks. You cannot bring yourself to the higher levels of consciousness by refusing to use bad words. But you should uh, be observant of the of the uh, pull, bad language, uh, porn, uh, greed, envy, all these things that we we look at as vice. We should see that pull on us. We can't break those bonds ourselves, but we could turn away from those things that are drawing us and reach out in our helplessness towards God. So that's one of the things that when you're out praying on the deserts of your life, to realize you can't do this. You can't make it happen. You can't change the world. You can be changed by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will change the world. We cannot defeat Pharaoh. God will defeat Pharaoh. We just have to walk the path, have the faith to walk the path through the Red Sea and seize their people. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to the Keys of the Kingdom. That last question is what we'll deal with here. Or maybe we'll give you a little bit of insight into where we're going to go with the the next section on this uh, journey towards the kingdom for South Africa anyway, which is really the same journey for everybody else because they're dealing with the same spirit there that we've been dealing in America for some time or not dealing with, failing to deal with in America for some time. Anyway, the church has to become this alternative as a benefactor of the world, but because that's a process, 
you don't have to start, you know, by jumping from one system to the other. You First you sit down, and then you share a meal. Then you share more, and then you share burdens. And we talked about, you know, forming a credit union, because that's another way of sharing the burdens of, you know, helping people start businesses and helping people provide for their family. Uh, they may have to borrow, but if you borrow from somebody who's in the profit business, they will take and take and take and take. But if you borrow from people who have the spirit of Christ, they, they're not trying to profit from loaning you the money. They want to see you profit. They want to see you get a successful business. I love the part in the movie, uh, Big Fat Greek Wedding when, when somebody's talking about having problems and he says, in your business, do you need help? Do you need some money? Do you need, uh, do you need, uh, me to send somebody over to help work there? What do you need? Because they want to see the other members of their family successful. And this would, it would be very kingdom if they were, wanted to see the Turks as successful as the Greeks. Which is a, but, but there, there was a certain tribalness to it, and that's always a problem. And there should be no more Greek, no more South African, I mentioned it in the recording, no more American. But only those people seeking the kingdom of God. But you have to start somewhere. So you start with the little things. You start taking care of the little needs. Maybe somebody just needs a little help. Maybe maybe they need their, their mechanic bill paid. We did that for somebody who was, I mean, his wife had cancer and uh, he had to have an operation and all this stuff. And so it was a good spirit where the people in the congregation got together and they took up a collection and they gave me the money and I went down and paid the mechanic. And when he went in to try to make arrangements to pay the bill, the mechanic said, oh, it's all paid. And we could do the same thing with medical bills sometimes. You know, but you have, you can't do it if you don't sit down and start walking in that direction and doing that and becoming those benefactors instead of the, the fathers of the earth. And so that's, that's what the church should be doing and that's what most churches are not doing. They have token charity, but the idea that they're going to take care all the social welfare. I've talked to, I remember talking to a fellow in Maryland and he, I was there in his house, and and he thought, oh, we can't do that. You know, people get sick one time, and the whole church is bankrupt. That's because you're not thinking of the church as the kingdom of God, the ministers of the kingdom of God. You're thinking of the church as a place I go and listen to music and sermons. That's not what the church is. The church is the called out, back to what we talked about at the beginning. We need we need to require the people to sit down in order to start moving in that direction according to the commandments of Christ. But they have to think a different way. They have to repent, seek, and strive, and persevere in that striving until they become the kingdom of God and the benefactors who don't exercise authority. There is no greater service than to teach others to sacrifice as Christ sacrificed for us. Christ taught us to sacrifice by being a doer, by doing that we might be saved. That's that's what Christ was showing us by the performance of his sacrifice, which was 
concealing the fact that he was the king of a kingdom. Rome agreed that Jesus Christ was the king. You even see later on in the epistles where the Romans are actually talking about sending troops to protect the Christians and defend the Christians. But we can't ask for their troops. So we don't do that. That's not our way. We have a different way. Because we we aren't going to impale Saul on a sword. We're not going to, you know, attack uh, the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh is going to destroy himself by making bad choices. And there's an abundance of bad choices. So anyway, the last point here is it says, with the righteous fellowship and a communion in charity rather than the force of modern government. Okay. You there? Again? <laughs> Stop hanging up. That's <laughs> <laughs> not me. Uh, this is probably a part of the message that evil does not want us to get out there. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the last thing was the, the righteous fellowship. And, and you have to understand what fellowship is. And communion, which is not a little wafer of bread, but rightly dividing the welfare bread from house to house when needed. But that is, that communion is provided by charity instead of force. It is a result of personal sacrifices of people who personally know you or the minister that is serving you. It isn't this this unfeeling bureaucracy that is just looking at their commandment book. It, it is a it is truly, it is not entitlement, but it is true charity as it was meant to be in a way that strengthens you because it creates, it comes from a wholly different spirit. You cannot receive the charity. This is one of the things I see in modern church a lot of times when they go out and give charity because even the modern church, when it goes out and gives charity, it often weakens the poor. And I hear ministers coming back and saying how, they wanted to help somebody out who needed help. They were having uh, financial difficulty with their family and everything. And the church didn't want to do it. So the minister actually took money out of his pocket and helped them. And they took the money and they, they ran with it. They left. They didn't care. They just look at, they, they love the handout. It's like panning for gold. You know, they're the victim. They need help and no fault of their own, supposedly. They get help and then they, it's like, oh, I found a gold nugget in the river. They don't feel any honor. They don't feel any responsibility. I remember a movie where a guy had to go on to welfare to feed his family. And it was a welfare back then. It was a, a dole. And I, I don't even know it was an actual government dole. I think it was a private charity. And, uh, he he needed help, and then he, then he started making money again and was able to take care of his family, and he saved up his money, and he went back to pay back. You know, he's in the room where everybody's coming in for help and assistance, and everybody's asking for something, and they says, well, so what do you want? When he got up to the window, and he says, I wanted to pay you back what you gave me before because I'm I'm doing okay now. And everybody, everybody in the room was just like shocked. Pay it back? <laughs> well, I don't know if we can do that. I don't know if we know how to do. <laughs> but if you're sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, that pressure is there. 
but it's there because the spirit of righteousness is there. It's not because you owe some sort of debt. You want to help others out because others helped you out. You, you saw the faces of your benefactors. You saw the sacrifice of your benefactors. And it moves you to become a benefactor yourself. To pass it, pay it forward, so to speak. Because you've become a part of the kingdom. And you can start small. And let it grow. I mean, trees don't start in the woods as giant trees. They start as little mustard seeds. They're little little seeds that are buried in the ground. And that's what you do is you you give freely and hope that it comes back to you. So that's the communion of Christ. It's not the communion of the world. It's the communion of Christ. It's the communion of the kingdom. And it has to be done righteously. Not only out of charity, but when you give, you freely give. And you become that alternative daily ministration in the practice of pure religion. Instead of the covetous practices of force and violence that we see in the world. Because those, as you reverse that process, because the covetous practices have made you merchandise and curse your children. But as you make an attempt to reverse that process and become the prodigal sons that come back to your father's house as servants, and like I said, Christ doesn't need your service. You need to serve others as Christ came to serve you, that you might be saved. And you need to serve others in a way that they might be saved, in a way that strengthens their virtue. You don't know how to do that, but if you begin to walk the walk, you will learn how to do that. And you can only really learn how to do that when the Holy Spirit enters enters into you. Because I tell you that if you start to gather, part of the reason you're gathering is wrong. I don't know where it's wrong because it's different with different people. But I can guarantee, unless you're walking on water, you walk across the lake to join the congregation, you're going to do something wrong. You're going to have some wrong intent in what you're doing. But that's okay, because in the process of seeking the kingdom and its righteousness, you will come face to face with your weaknesses. And when you're willing to face your weaknesses, your weaknesses will become your strengths. This is what he's telling you. This is how the kingdom works. So you just have to work at the kingdom. And so go to preparingyou.com, sign up on the network group in the geographical area that you're in, and see if you can't find out where the nearest congregation is. Join that congregation when you get 20 people in the congregation or even 15. Divide the congregation when you're ready, when the Holy Spirit leads you into two congregations. Stay connected to the network of ministers. Continue to sacrifice daily as you would want somebody to be there sacrificing for you daily if you fell on need. And there, like, again, I say there's a metaphysical process it, your sacrifice is not going to go unseen by God. It may go unseen by men, but it will not go unseen by God. And that's, this is where faith comes in. You have to have faith in the way of Christ. And then all things are possible. 
So anyway, that's uh, that's pretty much as far as I got on the the Matamala page. But like I said, I've already started another page that is going to be uh, discussing. It'll be on that page eventually, but it, it has to do with the cli- uh, climate of ideas, and I, I've read a number of reports, and I've got a half a dozen more to read on South Africa and uh, some of the things going on. There was a symposium, which I thought was kind of interesting because the word symposium is the word that Christ used when he tells the people to sit down in symposia, and a symposia in the Greek is usually about ten people, but then those symposia were just gather in groups of a hundred, you know, so that, I mean, it would be a hundred because there would be ten groups of ten, and that would be a hundred people, ten symposia, and then because there were five thousand, they would have another fifty of those hundred groups of, uh, or those ten groups of ten, which is, represents a hundred, so then another fifty, that's five thousand, and because those were just the heads of families, that we're probably talking twenty to 30,000 people that were to organize before there was a redistribution of the loaves and fishes, which may or may not have appeared out of thin air. It may have appeared out of sharing, charitable sharing, which at this stage of the game would be the greater miracle because it has to be this voluntary, voluntary sharing. But anyway, I quote a particular guy who wrote a report on this symposia that was taking place, which was Roger uh, Pilon. And uh, he writes on the principles of constitutionalism, liberty, then democracy. And he says, if our South African friends wish to draw upon American experience in their efforts to bring about constitutional reform, they would be better advised to look not to what we do today, but to what we did when we first embarked on our experiment and ordered liberty more than 200 years ago. More precisely, I contend that American founders got it right when they began in the natural rights tradition with libertarian substance then moved to democratic process. Now, that will take a little bit of unpacking, and that's what we'll be doing in this next section. It, what made America great, and I, I mentioned at the end of our conversation with Mr. Matamala, I mentioned Alex Tocqueville, who went to great lengths touring America to try to find out what was making America great. Because visiting America from Europe was like visiting another planet. There was something going on in America that was not going on in South America. Uh, It was in some areas of South America, but eventually the socialist and resentful and tribalism of South America and the greed took over. There was a spirit that came specifically to America, North America, that was slightly different. And it's dissipating now. And there's a reason, and that's what we'll be getting into, is why is it dissipated so much, where so that the people are actually becoming what uh, I referred to in the article as perfect savages, and I'm simply quoting uh, Polybius on that subject. But Roger believed that the progressive era got it wrong 
I personally believe that the original Constitution was missing four major points that are biblical points. And we've written whole articles on that. Maybe I'll put links in so you can go read that. But the idea that we are endowed by our Creator with certain natural rights that are that are inalienable rights. It doesn't mean that we can't lose them, or that we. There's a. And I'm going to get back into uh, Trey Goff's Constitution too eventually, but uh, and we're going to look at the actual structure that he is setting up or not setting up in his case, and compare it again to what the kingdom is. Because uh, Mr. Uh, Pylon, Roger, uh, agrees with the symposia that there are uh, four major free elections was one, and legitimacy of the political opposition, and limits on arbitrary arrest and detention and punishment. And I guess the, yeah, the fourth one is protection of my uh, minority rights, which is just protection. You know, I hate to use the word minority rights because you start thinking, well, LGBT rights. LGBT rights should be exactly the same as everybody else's rights. Uh, black rights are, are the same as everybody else's rights. They're not separate rights. It's just that you don't section out a portion of the community, which identity politics loves to do, and say you have less rights because you're this particular section of community. Uh, so it's not minority rights, but the rights of minority, the protection of rights of minority. And I may change that on the page because I, I don't have this page public yet. He also talks about certain things that the economic activity is not mentioned hardly in the symposia. Um, also talking about the need for independent judiciary and independent private watchdog organizations uh, for, you know, the implementation of justice and mercy. All those elements are in the structure of the kingdom of God, as spelled out by Jesus Christ and the Gospels and the Old Testament as well. Because all those elements of a free society have to be covered. But the free election, for instance, you do, you're not electing rulers in the kingdom of God because the ministers of the kingdom of God are not allowed to rule one over the other. You're electing servants. And you don't have the right to elect my servant. You only have the right to elect your servant. And you can't compel them to be your servant. You have to look out amongst yourselves, find men you trust, and they have to be willing to be your servants. And, of course, the ministers of the church, because it's not established by the people, but established by Christ, you just recognize them as a servant of Christ. He's not your servant. He's the public servant of the kingdom of God, another form of government. You get to change him every day, like I say, is election day in the kingdom. If he's not doing a good job, don't fund him. If he's not being righteous, rebuke him. He's he's only a servant. He's not your servant, he's a servant of Christ. Now, he may serve you because Christ told him to serve you. But he's not working for you. He's not your employee. This is one of the big problems with a lot of the Protestant groups is that they, they elect some minister and he's working for them. They can fire him. 
in the kingdom of God, you're electing men that are a part of this separate body that hold all things in common. You get to pick another minister anytime you want from that pool of ministers. Or you can pick somebody who's not even in that pool and then he may become a part of that pool, but he's not appointed by you. He's elected by you and appointed by the existing ministers of the church established by Jesus Christ. Now, who is, who are the ministers of the church established by Jesus Christ? How do you know? By what they do, not just what they say. Of course, they'll say certain things, but they have to be actually doing what they say. So this goes back to a lot of the questions of Mr. Montemala is that how do we do this until we're transformed? It is the doing that transforms us. It is putting our hand to the plow that allows the Holy Spirit to come and guide our hand. We can't just read about it and talk about it. We actually have to implement it. But the beautiful thing in the kingdom is we don't have to become the entire kingdom and do all the things of the kingdom overnight. At least not yet. (laughs) We may have to overnight eventually. But we can start now. It's a process. We start the process now. But how do you do the process if you only want your little group? How do you do the process if you won't sit down and try to create a free assembly networking body? Not just in your local area, but in every area of the world. How do you do that? Well, I don't think you can do that. So that's why we should see you popping up on the network. (laughs) Trying to form that network of love and charity. Until then, feast on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.